0: everybody to the politics 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 program for wednesday october 12th well into spoopy season it's your boy justin robert young we got a great show for you today i got a little i got a little i don't want i don't know if i call it news it would be news if i had primary sources. i don't have primary sources i got a little rumor for you I got a little rumor for you. That's really what I got. I I have a little, a little gossip, a little little uh, little little, little little tidbits here, uh, that is related to something that you might have seen on the news, and that is, the delays and cancellations of Southwest Airlines. There's a lot going around about that, up to and including weather delays, despite the fact there didn't seem to be a whole lot of weather that affected other airlines, short staffing, a fight between management and worker over vaccine mandates. I'm not saying I've got the answer. I'm saying I've got some gossip about it. I think it's informed gossip, but I will allow you guys To be the judge. We also have a campaign ad that has gone viral, over 5 million views on the website twitter.com for a house seat that is up next year. And, uh, you know, initially when I saw it, I was like, oh, I know this one. Some, you know, consulting company is going to make a real crazy looking ad and all the hipsters in the coastal cities that are really, really blue are going to donate to it. But it's really a, a district in the deep south that like is is going to be a 10-point blowout no matter what. And that might be the case, but I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. You'll hear the ad. You'll hear my breakdown. That's later. And finally, Molly Wood is on the show, of course, formerly of the New York Times, formerly of... Buzz Out Loud, formerly of, uh, I don't know where, where else she's formerly. She's currently of Marketplace Tech. And she's currently got a brand new podcast out called How We Survive. Tracking a lot of the green technologies and the processes that you need to have happen for them to work. In a real world setting, this isn't pie in the sky. Let's talk to some professor somewhere while they tell you what the models say need to happen. No, no, no. This is dirt under the fingernails reporting about lithium mines. Molly joins us to talk about that show, where she sees the tech and climate issues going from here. and. Much, much more before we even start, let me just tell you, download the show. I say it again when Molly's on, but i I really don't want this to get lost in the sauce or for people to to skip the interview because you might think, "Oh, a public radio podcast about about climate change. I wonder what it's going to be like. Uh, to be totally honest, like Molly's a friend, but I didn't listen to the show until she came on, largely because. I fought like you and, and, and it's not, it's not, it's exceptional. If you support this show, go support that one because it's the kind of stuff that you want complicated, nuanced, and very, very worth your time. We'll, we'll get into all that a little bit later with Molly in the show until then. But first, Southwest Airlines, which is experiencing day number five of widespread cancellations. Yesterday, 435 additional Southwest flights were cancelled bringing the total above 2000 since Friday. Shout out to everybody who is currently listening to my voice at an airport. Indeed, if you are flying on uh, today, Wednesday, October 13th, then you join me. I'll be on a flight. In fact, I'll be on a Southwest flight. A Southwest flight from Austin to Fort Lauderdale. At least. Hopefully. Because, like many folks who wanted to take Southwest flights over the last five days, they have found that to be a little easier said than done. As we heard at the very beginning of this segment, there have been days upon days of cancellations and delays for the budget airline. This has been unique. Amongst the other airlines, as despite the fact that Southwest claims that weather is the result of some of these problems, United, American, and many of the other major airlines all reported far less cancellations and delays. Which, of course, makes people wonder, well, what's different about you, Southwest? It did not take long for the culture war to catch a hold of this, including many politicians. It's the hashtag freedom flu. Indeed, the Southwest Pilots Association has been uh, battling against its company, saying that vaccine mandates should not be put in place. This is something that is now not really an option, at least if you believe that Joe Biden's decree that OSHA is going to enforce that any company over 500 employees will have to impose a vaccine mandate. So is this a sick out? Is this what is often used in in non-official union action that you're going to have a bunch of people call in sick and that's going to demonstrate to management that this, whatever this is, is not going to stand. You know, when you look at it from its face, it certainly is something that is plausible, right? After all, you Southwest has been battling with its company with or the union, the pilots union has been battling with its company a little bit harsher than some of the other airlines have. Southwest is a little bit more of a conservative company culture, being a smaller business and based in the Texas area. So maybe you can run some of that reinforcement into this narrative. However, I'm going to do something here that I I don't usually do. You know, I'm more of an analyst. I'm more of somebody who's taking a look at things, and I'm giving you my best guess, and I'm trying to figure out exactly what's going on. But, but, I have for you what I would deem informed scuttlebutt. <laughs> I will say that in 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 whatever deep remnants of uh, that, that still remains in my body of being a reporter, which at this point is like texting three or four people. I have unearthed informed scuttlebutt, informed scuttlebutt that I will now pass along to you. Because almost immediately, both Southwest and the Southwest Pilots Association sought to shoot down the freedom flu narrative. The Pilots Association said, absolutely not. There were no more uh, called out uh, sick days than normally happens. They pointed the finger right to Southwest saying that this is a staffing problem and it's a problem with how they organize their company. They don't have enough people to make up for when there might be a hiccup. And that means that when one thing goes wrong, a chain of things goes wrong. And Southwest has pretty much backed them up on that. This has nothing to do with vaccines, says both the union and the airline. It certainly has nothing to do with mandates. Well, dear listener, I'm here to tell you that my informed scuttlebutt says otherwise. It indeed has something to do with vaccines and indeed has something to do with the mandates. However, it is not an organized freedom flu sick out. Here is what I know. And again, take this with a grain of salt. What I have heard is that Indeed, there is backlash internally at Southwest to the vaccine mandate. This is something that we've talked a lot about. Uh, uh, I, I said here on this show when Biden pushed for the vaccine mandate via OSHA that this is something that You know, if you very much believe that vaccine mandates need to happen, then you also need to understand that there is going to be backlash. There there will always be backlash to anything, especially when you're making it mandatory, especially when you are making somebody choose between what they might believe and the way that they feed their family. So. Southwest has a bit of an issue. They also have a bit of an issue of running lean. So let's take all of these things together as much as we might want to isolate one thing because it it feeds more into our personal world. Let's understand that this is always going to be a goulash. So you've got a summer of unruly passengers of mask mandates that all these people, both pilots and flight attendants and everybody in between needs to deal with. Add that to the fact that people are nervous and weird on flights to begin with in the best of times. And right now, flying is not exactly the happiest thing to do. Indeed, in the times that I have uh, gone from here to there via air travel, I would describe the mood of everybody involved as surviving. There's not really a whole lot of uh, uh, footloose and fancy-free attitudes these days there's a lot of sternly worded warnings about what is legal and what is not legal and a lot a heavy dollop of can we all just please get through this together a- and this is on southwest where flight attendants are encouraged to show a little bit more of their personality and indeed I've been on the plane when people are rapping or 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 doing funny voices or whatever but In this case, there's a lot of, for the love of God, can we all just get through this process as fast as possible? So, what I have been informed is that morale is a little dicey these days, and there's a little bit of a pushback on these vaccines. What happened over the weekend is. Some employees, at least enough to make a difference, frustrated with management, and possibly looking to make exactly the scene that they made, decided to get vaccinated. Getting vaccinated before they had a slate of flights to be a part of. It is against FAA regulations to get on a flight right after you have had a COVID 19 vaccination. 48 hours is what I was told is the minimum that needs to exist between you getting the shot and you getting on the flights. That means if there were enough people. That got it. A, they would not be officially calling out sick, nor would this be against company policy. They would simply be making themselves illegal to fly for 48 hours. That is the ripple effect that was seen throughout the Southwest chain. And that's why it was unique to other airlines. That also means. That we should keep an eye on the clock. Because indeed, if Southwest is short-staffed and they can't just call other people to pick up uh, uh, the slack when somebody takes a vaccine and now cannot be on a flight for 48 hours and they have a little bit of an unruly staff who wants to not necessarily play by the most company-friendly schedule for their vaccinations... Then that means in two weeks from last weekend, we could very well see another round of delays as all those folks who got vaxxed together on one Saturday, then get their second shot that fortnight later. So there we go. It is about vaccines. It is about mandates. It is about uh, uh, the worker versus the the man. It is not an official union action. It is not an unofficial union action. And by the way, those, especially when we talk about air travel, are very highly regulated. To, To try to organize something unofficial like that is like the FBI can investigate that. So it's a little bit about everything, but not enough about anything to really make it a gigantic political issue, no matter what, you know, the Ted Cruz's and Donald Trump's would like to make of it. Now, will this inspire other quote unquote freedom flu epidemics in other industries? Quite possibly. But from my informed scuttlebutt, that is not what we saw when hundreds of Southwest customers were unable to be free to move about the country and indeed left the management of that airline asking the question, want to get away?
1: When I was a young boy, the KKK announced a night rally in my home county. They cross burning with hundreds of Klansmen to terrorize the blacks and Lumbee. We were a poor farming community, black, white, and Indian. My parents and grandparents were sharecroppers like many. The police chief warned the Grand Dragon, these people don't want your trouble. The Klansmen called us mongrels, half-breeds and told him the Klan would show him how to handle people like us. That night, they rolled in with their cars, their crosses, and a single light bulb hooked to a car battery. 50 Klansmen. Not a bad turnout on a cold night. Problem is, they were surrounded by 400 Lumbees. Seminoxandine had been a tail gunner in a B-29 during the war. Verdia Locklear was four months pregnant. Neil Lowry was the local barber. Hundreds of normal folks deciding to stand together against ignorance and hate. Lowry shot out the light. The Klansmen scattered. By the time the sheriff arrived to fish them out of the swamp, the press was running with the story. The Battle of Hayes Pond, where one town beat the Klan. A piece of forgotten history worth remembering, especially today. In Washington, lies turned to violence. And the biggest lie is that America is at war with itself, that you can't trust your neighbor, that they want something that's yours, that you must live in fear of them. But the people who stood up at Hayes Pond refused to be afraid. I grew up with their story, and the lesson is Human dignity is a human right. Pretty compelling ad, ad, huh? It's a viral ad from
0: Charles Graham. He is a state representative in North Carolina who has announced his intentions to run for the 9th District House of Representatives seat in the same state. Now, if you are like me, here's what you thought when you initially saw this ad or just heard it right now. It's what I thought before I looked into it, that is. And that is, this is one of them ads that they have like a real talented political editor that's out in LA or Brooklyn. And they make this big viral thing that plays well in blue states where you're going to raise a lot of money because someone will see that on Twitter and they'll be like, yeah, the, the, the KKK is exactly like the Republican Party. I need to make sure that I donate right now. And that guy is going to raise a lot of money and then he's going to get slaughtered because likely this is a district for which Democrats just simply don't win. Well, that's not quite the case here. Well, the ad might have been produced by professionals, but my point is that this campaign is not a total loss cause for the Democrats. Sure, this seat, which is the ninth district in North Carolina, has gone. To a Republican since 1963, and it was a seat embroiled in controversy not too long ago. In fact, it's exactly that reason that gives the Democrat a chance. The race in 2018 was decertified after the incumbent Republican won because of voter fraud. Yes, the incumbent Republican had some element of culpability and wound up dropping out. The GOP had to find another challenger and that challenger wound up beating the same Democrat by more than the incumbent did. Still, this is a purple district and a well-run Democratic campaign with local ties could do well. So is it raising a hundred million dollars to run against Mitch McConnell in Kentucky? No. But. It might be a worthwhile uh, cause for the Democrats, even if a win there would be rather unlikely, at least as far as history goes. (laughs)
2: Ladies
0: and gentlemen, you can support this podcast by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. We've had an uptick. We've had a surge in support here. Maybe it was free HBO week. Maybe it was uh, uh, just giving everybody a taste of what does live beyond that paywall. That Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition. Getting your week started off right by breaking down all the narratives that the people in D.C. are creating for you. Maybe it's the late breaking news that happens on the Thursday edition of the podcast. Had a couple stories recently where the episode that airs on Friday, which is recorded earlier in the week, was not exactly the latest. If you wanted the real breakdown, you had to get that Thursday podcast. Those are the two weekly shows that you get if you are a patron at $3 and up here on the Politics, Politics, Politics program. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go for that. And might I just dare hint, hint toward the future? Uh, let me just say this. Um... Many of you, if you listen through the election, might remember that the final month of said election in 2020, there was a great moment, a great moment where your friend and mine, Andrew Heaton, moved to Oakland. He drove from Oklahoma in his scamper trailer. He parked it down the block. Scamp got broken into, <laughs> but then later he found nicer places to park it. And throughout that month, we created a lot of content, some of it behind the paywall here. Uh, in fact, folks who are uh, already patrons will have already gotten some uh some some bonus heat and content because he was down here not too long ago. So all I'm saying, is that I remember that month fondly. What if that month wasn't only meant to live for 30 days? What if that month was stretched out indefinitely? What if Andrew Heaton and I lived in the same city? Mm. Mm. Something to ponder and possibly a reason. For you to go ahead and jump over that paywall right now, that is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts each and every week. Our guest today has a brand new podcast out. It's called How We Survive. You can hear her on Marketplace Tech and she's an all around good person. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, Molly Wood.
2: Welcome to the show, Molly. Thanks, Justin. I'm delighted to be on the show.
0: Be back on the show, yeah, because you you've been on here before talking about stuff, but not yeah. about something that I think is a, a tremendous intersection of politics and uh, really an issue that animates a lot of politics, and that is global warming, climate change. It's the brand new podcast, How We Survive, available right now. And uh, before we get started, let me just say, it's fantastic. and 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 I don't think that it is what some people might... Think of when when they when they think of like, oh, here is a public radio affiliated podcast about climate change. I think it immediately kind of inspires a lot of your guessing how it's going to be. And I might say for ninety nine percent of them, you might be right, but you're not here. Why did you try to take the tack that you did with this podcast when you were conceiving it?
2: Yeah, I thank you for saying that because it is my greatest uh, accomplishment. I think that it doesn't sound like the podcast that you expect it to sound like, and in fact, that was very specifically one of my goals because I haven't done a lot of narrative, you know, what we now call narrative podcasting. Yeah, Um, and it's not even really my favorite genre, if I'm being a hundred percent (laughs) honest. I'll do respect to literally all of my colleagues. Um, Two things about it, I think that that hopefully do sound a little different, and the the primary thing is that when I started doing coverage of the climate crisis about two and a half or three years ago, it was all about this idea of solutions. And all of those solutions, at least in my mind, were inspired by sci-fi. Like, I'm a big sci-fi fan. And in so many of these books these problems are addressed or even solved. It might be too late for humanity. It might be, you know, in ways that we uh, wish it weren't solved, but it is. And it sort of got me thinking, like, I'm just a solutions-minded person. And I thought, well, it seems unlikely that humans are actually just going to lay down and die here. Yeah. And on top of that, here I am, you know, Silicon Valley adjacent, surrounded by all these companies telling me they're going to save the world. So, like, where's the tech? Yeah. Let's do this. And so that is the the animating spirit behind this podcast is solutions. What are we pursuing and how can we get there? And then we took this big solution of batteries and tried to sort of break it down into its component parts. And then it just so happens that uh it's at a time when everybody's talking about supply chains and yep. we're doing a podcast about the battery supply chain. Like a bunch and, of nerds.
0: Yeah, and 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 uh, th- Two things that immediately jumped out at me when I listened to the first episode. Number one was full confirmation bias, because this is something that I have I have long said is, is like, to me, the climate crisis can be best understood and summed up in, I'm really glad we made iPhones and I'm really glad that we made Teslas, because what that did was revolutionize how we thought about battery production. And if there's, we, we can have all the solar panels in the world we want, we can have all the green tech that we want but that's a great way of harvesting energy. It's not a way of storing energy. That's about as as helpful as harvesting a bunch of food and then having nowhere to put it so it is safe from the elements. It will rot and wither away. And in the case of, of a lot of that energy, it just goes away immediately. So uh, that was fascinating. What the other thing that I loved was understanding that as much as and and I will I will put us in in the the uh, uh, realm of coastal elites who, who tend to think that some of these things are a little easier, you know, as you know, as long as I use the right hashtag, I'm I'm pulling my weight in, in the right direction. I wish everybody who didn't use the hashtag would please use it and change their filter on Facebook. There are when you get into the nitty gritty, which you do, you realize that across political aisles. There are sometimes strange bedfellows that are in in opposition to certain things. And sometimes people are for things, despite the fact that they might be politically totally uh, out of line throughout this process. How much did your previous understanding of climate change or or the tech there around, green tech in general, uh, change in terms of understanding the political polarization around it?
2: Yeah, it's. It's just fascinating because, of course, every technological solution is fundamentally a human solution and a human question, much like the climate crisis. And so we encountered, you know, in the first episode alone, we have, you know, Trump-supporting ranchers who don't believe that climate change is man-made, who oppose a lithium mine because they think it's government overreach. We have environmental activists who you would think ostensibly would want to solve the climate crisis but who are saying all of these technological solutions designed at at solving the climate crisis are greenwashing. Every one of them is a lie. Batteries are a lie because it involves so much carbon to produce them. And even if we can create a virtuous cycle of renewable energy, like fundamentally, if we're digging up, you know, what might be sacred indigenous burial grounds, then it's not worth it, which is which was surprising. And then we found, you know, a lifelong environmental activist and professor of environmental sciences, Who literally resigned from uh, an environmental nonprofit that he created because he supports this lithium mine in Nevada. And that's just one project that we're gonna delve into. To be clear, like the first two episodes are gonna be set in Nevada where this, this there's this very controversial lithium mine proposal. But across the US, we're talking about different ways to get this domestic supply of lithium. We're talking about what that technology will mean. Like you said, I think people are only recently starting to make the connection between creating renewable energy with things like wind and solar and even hydro, and then storing that energy so that you actually have it when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining and, and using it for backup and putting it putting batteries on people's houses and putting batteries across the grid and making them smart so that the grid can all talk to itself and manage this power in this like consistent way. Um, and later on, there will be adventures to places where communities that you wouldn't expect to be in favor of a project like this, who have been burned before, even by renewable energy are like, yes, please. We need the jobs and the economic development and PS to save the world.
0: And and that's, you know, what's, what's fascinating is I think, and and maybe oh, I'm curious your opinion. When, when we talk about things like climate change, we tend to segment them out. And that's not a a unique thing to climate change. That is so many different issues that we say like, well, I'm for this. If you're not for this, then then you're not, you don't get it, right? You need to understand and educate yourself. But you even in just dipping a toe into this, this is a 30 minute episode. And we understand (laughs) that the reality of moving this forward ties to indigenous land rights, ties to uh, uh you know uh, what i would say editorially uh uh is an an environmental suicide cult like uh uh what uh, education jobs the economy uh, mm-hmm. uh you know the the concept of what government is and how much it's tied in to to other elements of big business like th- one thing is everything wh- yeah. when it comes to something that we're talking about on on a on a grand solution uh I, I want to pivot to this, though. You mentioned when we were on Daily Tech News Show a couple of days ago that you're going out to one of, there's, there's a gigantic environmental conference that's uh, about to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We're talking about a global level. Solutions are going to be meted out. You've spent the last however long working on this podcast, understanding the smallest element and how controversial it is. How has that affected your your concept of how effective a global solution is going to be?
2: I know. And one of the things it's so funny that you bring that up, because one of the things that I have tried not to do is to get mired in how hard it is to get humans to all row in the same direction, because everything that you've said is totally true about just the one episode in the one mining project, which encompasses all of that plus politics, plus the fact that all politics are local, that, you know, nimbyism will play into whatever solution is proposed and that people really have to see a benefit to themselves, that there are very few, you know, characters and I'm using finger quotes because they're people, but there are very few people and characters in these stories who are sort of taking this grand view who are like, no, you know, it's, it's about the planet. Because fundamentally for human beings, it's not. It's about their own house or their own land or their own job or their own school or their own safety. And or, you know, yeah, selling their book and promoting their like eco-terrorist cause, like whatever it is. Exactly. Um, And so it does start to feel a little dark, like (laughs) you start to feel a little worried about how hard it is to get everybody on the same page when you need to move forward with something. What I hope is that we will see later in the season and we will see with humans in general that, that there, nothing brings, nothing spurs action, like a little existential dread yep. and actual threat um, to, to make this sort of like biological imperative kick into gear. And that there are ways to build, you know, I've been talking a lot about like ultimately You'll hear this in one of the later episodes. In some ways, the idea of these solutions is about the optimism of hard work. Yeah. And like a lot of that work is boring. And much like with politics, it's about building coalitions. It's about communicating with people early. It's about getting everybody on board with a plan so that you can move forward instead of imposing like a top down plan. You know, here we are. Yeah, This is our plan. You don't trust us because we're going to make a lot of money from this plan. You might be right not to trust us. You might be wrong. But the fact is we didn't consult you, right? Top down is despair, but bottom up is hope.
0: Well, I mean, I, I certainly hope so. I certainly do believe that, yeah, there, is, <laughs> that there is uh, uh, in any situation, be it climate change or or any of the issues that we face that, that animate a, a political discourse, I do think communication and oftentimes compassion can really go a long way to actually doing things, which I know- Uh, in our, in our modern day and age, it feels like we, we, uh, we have most of our fun talking about doing things and saying that we're very much for things as opposed
2: to actually getting them done. Uh, how long did you work on this? I don't know why you doubt the sincerity of my tweets. Those are action, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Because you yelled at me the other day. <laughs> Twitter is such, it is the little, like if you, you, you are, nothing is going to get done on Twitter. Um, I will, by the way, I will answer your specific question later too, about what that actual conference is that's happening. Yes. Because in November, because it's a big deal. This, so I took off from my day job, the Marketplace Tech Show in May. Okay. And spent the whole summer and you know it worked out sort of perfectly with COVID. Like there was just a dip in June and July. Yeah,
0: you 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 which, you bought you bought the Delta dip or the the dip before Delta, <laughs> and and then uh, uh, sold right at the right time to get back. I in really the house.
2: really did exactly. And so we did three trips, I think, all into the Salton Sea, which you're going to hear in later episodes in Southern California, where there's a big lithium resource and a lot of geothermal power, and then two trips to Nevada, to Northern Nevada, the Snacker mm-hmm. Pass area. Um, and, you know, I mean, we're still writing some of the later episodes, so it still has been quite a process to just get these 30 turns out a 30 minute podcast script is like long. Uh, There's a book at the end of this. I think yeah, I don't just I know it. lined <laughs> it up. Yeah, exactly. It
0: is, it, is, um, it is a lot longer than you think when, when you just listen to it and you're like, oh, wow, that was short. I could go for more. And if you make them, you're like, shut up. You got everything.
2: You've wrung me dry. Well, and every one of those uh, those scripts too started out twice as long. I mean, there were so many, oh, yeah. you know, relative to other reporting that's been done on these stories, not to cash shade on anybody, but like we talk to everybody and it, it is remarkable the details that you can uncover and the time that you can spend getting, get spend, getting to know people, you know, it's all in, it's a grand total of maybe 20 hours on the ground in yeah. each of these places. Um 40, 40 hours on the ground. I don't know, like there's sleep in there. But sure. it's it's the longest I have ever spent on a single project. You know, five or six months really calling people, fact-checking them, finding out one thing, calling somebody else, having people say to us things like, wow, who have you been talking to? And answering everybody. We have talked to yeah. everybody in the Imperial Valley or, you know, in Orvada or Winnemucca or all parts of Northern Nevada to try to get, look, if anything is going to be the death of us, speaking of Twitter, it's the easy narrative. Yeah. And I feel really lucky. Like the one great thing about public radio is that even though it can tend to produce narrative podcasts that have a similar sound across the board, Mm -hmm. one of which is not mine, um, you have a lot of license to embrace the nuance. Yes. If you want to. And to tell stories where everybody's right and everybody's wrong and none of the answers are easy, but the goal is to keep pushing towards solutions. And and
0: just, just to encapsulate that for folks who are on the fence about downloading this right now, which I very much suggest you should, and you should do it on Apple Podcasts because those are the charts that matter. Uh, it's not <laughs> our, we didn't choose it. It's just the way that the industry works. Just go do system. it right now. I know you're on Android and you're going to say, well, well, just please, for God's sakes, do it once and remember your password. It helps a lot. Uh, but this is a podcast that starts out with the concept that climate change is a crisis. We have a limited window to do things. This is a way that we can all agree this works. And now also, the face of that is effectively the same Company in place in terms of its interaction with the people on the ground, as like the folks who are making the Dakota Access Pipeline, which is like literally used as a, as 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 an example later by one of the opponents, and it's like, mm-hmm. for, you know, granted, one is digging out lithium, but also bringing in some hazardous chemicals to extract it, uh, the other is moving crude oil from one place to another. But they're the same faceless corporation to the folks down there on the ground. And and a, a, at the end of the day, th- we all have to figure out like, like that. So that's it. That's the shining light in the darkness is give this corporation what it wants. That That's what needs to happen. And I think that that's what that's what makes this such a fascinating backdrop.
2: Yeah, I think it really is. And I think there's, you know, it feels like. And I will urge you to stick with it because it feels like it's a story that we've all heard before, which is exactly that. You know, there's an evil corporation. They are going to make a ton of money off of this. Yeah. No one trusts them. So even, you know, even these ranchers who, uh, you know, were like, all right, you'll find us under the Trump 2024 flag. And we don't believe that climate change is human caused. Are then turning around and saying, "There's everybody's making money on green. Yep. And it's this and it's totally true. Yep. Right. And when there's a lot, there of, a money lot of money to be made. There is reason to be suspicious. Um, that said, you know, in episode two, we visit the lab where they're trying to figure out how to do this lithium extraction. We talked to the CEO who is like, look, I was like a really well-paid, you know, hedge fund guy. And I left that job to come back here and do this because I actually think mining lithium specifically is good for the planet. And we need to do it. And also <laughs> it is possible that there are better ways to do it, which we're going to explore later in the season two. And in addition to hopefully explaining even more like why this is so central, why this technology is so central to an energy transition, because there are people who still, you know, aren't a hundred percent convinced of that either. Like there still is this larger question of what do we need to change about our lives and our yeah. mindsets, right? Everybody, every single person in America, um, replacing their probably one to three too many vehicles with a brand new steel, you know, electric car. Yeah. That's not ideal. That still is more of a carbon footprint than we need and frankly, more cars than we need. So there are like, I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of big questions swirling through this podcast season, but I at least, I mean, look, it's not over yet. We haven't reported at all and episode eight isn't done yet. But I do think- the more we talk about solutions, the more we will come up with ideas about how to get to them.
0: How many episodes is this season?
2: It's eight episodes, so it'll be eight weeks long, about you know four hours, all and wait, in. How, which my how, how, said, how much
0: don't you have done? Now I'm just curious from from a production point of view.
2: Oh, only two. There's only two episodes. Only two episodes done. That are that are not done. That are not done. episodes. Oh, okay. Episodes okay. seven and eight. Partly because one, the last episode will hinge on reporting from. This COP26 gotcha. conference that you mentioned, which is going to be, which is, you know, very conveniently happening right toward the end of this podcast season, because it's the UN's COP21 is where the, they came up with the Paris Agreement. Mm-hmm. And so it's this, you know, global climate conference with diplomats and world leaders. President Biden's going to be there. It is being referred to by a lot of people in the climate space as most likely the most consequential gathering of world leaders since World War II. Like, this is the moment when they're going to decide, like, kind of if we survive in some ways, right? Whether governments are going to do this for real, get behind this for real in a big way, or whether it's going to come down to, you know, a hodgepodge of countries and entrepreneurs and public-private partnerships and individual cities. Yeah. It's a big deal. When does that happen? That is uh, the first two weeks of November is when that conference is.
0: Let's just focus on the people that you talked to in that first episode. Of those folks, how many of them do you think believe that anything that, that, that comes out of that conference is going to be the right decision to help their problems?
2: In episode one, yeah. I would
0: say- and 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 for those who haven't listened we're talking about people who are upset about ranchers who are upset about land use for a new mine a a local tribe that is upset some of which uh, is upset about the fact that this might be uh, a sacred land mm-hmm. who among them who among and there, them what, yeah
2: so we what, have would, our characters. Would there be so we any have our among them we have our ranchers yeah we have our a split tribe right so yep. some tribal members really oppose it and have teamed up with these sort of other protesters who are members of this kind of radical environmental group and and i and I,
0: will, and I will and i will say you did a very deft job of pointing out but not siding with a claim that the the a portion of the tribe that has teamed up with the environmentalist might be totally fabricating a story just so people don't press harder. Like that is that is a thing that you can't know. You can't know for sure. But I thought I thought, I thought it sure. was admirable that you pointed that out and that 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 you gave that element of voice. Cause I think a lot of other reporting, specifically when it comes to things about indigenous land and environmentalism, that's that's the kind of stuff that I don't think shows up in another public radio podcast. I'll just put put that point on it. You don't have to say anything, but that that is that is something that I I I very much was like, oh well, there we go. That's that's an important element of reporting.
2: It's. I think we went a little deeper than. Okay. I think we went a lot deeper, actually, than stories I have seen about this, for sure.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. A hundred percent. All right. So there I'll we go. I will say
2: yes. So you. So and then you have tribal members who are like, absolutely not. You know, I grew up on this exact same reservation with no power and no indoor plumbing until I was in middle school. This tribe needs these jobs. Exactly. I would say the, the one character in this story who is going to be paying attention to that conference and who really care what, there's going to be one. Yep. And it is the professor of environmental sciences from the University of Nevada, Reno, who, spoiler alert for episode one, had formed an environmental justice nonprofit that sued to stop this mine. And when yep. that happened, he resigned. Yeah. From his from the, the nonprofit that he founded because he was like, we have to do that. We actually have to do everything we possibly can there's no no stops can be pulled
0: there's no holding back all the
2: stops there's no holding back yeah we need the lithium and we need it to come from the united states which is a refrain that we heard over and over which is like right now the united states produces a a, a totally negligible like we don't even show up on the pie charts of global lithium production yeah meaning we don't control any of our supply of lithium in a, a you know a product that is projected to be a huge global shortage as soon as like 2023. Which makes
0: green tech essentially intersect again with everything being anything. uh, Green tech tends to politically get crossed wires with our trade imbalance with China. And and the idea that like, hey, if you want to turn everybody, if if Gavin Newsom wants to make everybody buy an electric car tomorrow, guess where all those batteries are gonna come from? If it's 20 years from now, Maybe it's only 70% that comes from China, but right now it's 100% effectively.
2: It it pretty much is. China controls 51% of the global lithium supply. And the reason we're talking about lithium, just in case you didn't follow that from earlier, is that lithium right now, of course, is the key ingredient in most batteries, almost all. Right. Yeah. And although there are other metals, you've heard about other rare earth metals and metals in batteries like nickel and manganese and cobalt. Cobalt's the one that gets a lot of headlines because it's been associated with human rights abuses with the mining. It's mostly found in the Democratic Republic of Congo and it's a mess. Cobalt, however, can be replaced in batteries. Lithium is like the one that is essentially irreplaceable in current battery technology. It's like, it's number three on the periodic charts and (laughs) it's, you know, electricity, like conductivity to size ratio is like, can't be replicated with any other metal. That's why it's such a big deal. We're slowly working on other battery technologies and energy storage technologies, but we're not there yet. So it is um, super crucial. China controls most of it. And yes, right now, the other thing that we don't have in the US, even if we can figure out the mining part of it, We don't build any batteries here yet. Yeah. And we need to do that too. Otherwise, we dig up a bunch of lithium or extract it from, you know, ocean brine. And then we ship all the lithium to China. So they could build it. So that they can make the batteries that then get shipped back here. Like people are not lying when they say there's currently a huge carbon footprint associated with batteries. So lots of changes need to happen.
0: Yeah. It just in terms of even constructing it locally and that's before we even get into the economic stuff or we get into the supply chain stuff which is happening right now where you've got all these these uh shipping yards stacked up with uh, uh cans and boats out in the harbor that are waiting for that's for you. days if not weeks so yep. oh boy
2: uh, and don't forget do you- about the policy need that too yeah yeah need the tax incentives and the permits and to clear the red tape and oh yeah yeah it's a it's a large hill to climb What do you expect from this UN conference? I saw a report, I think from the, like a federal reserve chairman, maybe not the chair, like a federal reserve banker who essentially said there was a high risk of failure Uh coming out of this conference, the economic forces against this energy transition are really strong. Even in the United States, you see that, you know, the 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 primary reason it appears that, for example, Joe Manchin opposes the infrastructure bill is less about cost and more about climate, right? I mean, here's a guy who's in a fossil fuel producing state who gets a lot of money from that industry personally and in terms of donations. It It's we do still need a lot of fossil fuels to operate our economy and there's a lot of money tied up in it. And there are a lot of countries who rely on those industries almost entirely. So I expect to be somewhat disappointed.
0: In terms of there being bold action, and we would define bold action by countries agreeing to, certain goals of, of, of reducing blank by X, right?
2: Yep, exactly. I mean, you've seen, for example, I think the EU right now is probably the farthest ahead in terms of making really concrete and really dramatic climate promises. Like there will be no more, you know, internal combustion engine cars by, was it 2030? Like it won't be allowed anymore. That is, that is the time frame and the aggressiveness of the solutions that have to be proposed like not just for example companies or countries saying that they'll be carbon neutral which is just something that relies on offsets yeah. like it just means that the exact same amount of fossil fuel energy gets consumed but you build a solar plant somewhere else that's not it yeah so there has to be a legitimate proposal to dramatically and quickly transition the entire world off of fossil fuels. And by the way, that includes countries that aren't even on, you know, you talk about a country like Indonesia, which is 300 million people. It's the size of the United States. And a lot of it doesn't have power. Yeah. So there are countries who are saying, whoa, 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 we never even got on fossil fuels in the first place. And now you're saying like, you're going to have to build this expensive solar and come up with these, you know, this battery technology and it's, it's a, it's a very tricky diplomatic conversation to have. Like I that's said, I think that. easy
0: though for the EU because they love rules, you know, like, like we, we don't, we don't, that's the problem for us. If it was, if it was about, Hey, just go do what you want, then we would lead the world in it because that's what we love to do.
2: Uh, I even think, I mean, you're seeing more out of China because China, you know, the EU loves rules and China can make rules. Well, we have right, neither so this, this is this
0: is my this is my last question from from a, a global perspective, literally on this. how much of if we're talking about the the globe, right? Like how much is this conversation really about China and India?
2: It is profoundly about China and India, and I wouldn't sleep on Indonesia. I wouldn't sleep yeah. on these these you know very, very big countries who, if they all come on online, with diesel, as a friend of mine put it, we cook. Yeah. We cook. So there are developing economies that are way, 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 way more important to this than the United States. As the United States is going to, I'm sorry, continue to be a large emitter of carbon, probably a holdout on a lot of the policies that other countries are going to embrace. And ultimately, the the real change will come, like I said, bottom up. From Indonesia, from Africa, from China, from India.
0: Is China the, the bottom?
2: China's not the bottom. I guess not the bottom. No, not at all. So it, you've got like, I'm trying to figure out where China is in the pyramid. Yeah. I mean, in terms I, of, I guess, I guess, in terms me, a, of big developed economies, China may actually, China and the EU are likely to lead weirdly. Well, Russia and the United States may end up having it uh, almost the same I, yeah.
0: behaviors. The, 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 the question mm-hmm. about China is exactly, how much how much what is promised by China will will materialize but sure. yes. you know we will
2: we will see that's always I, the question but when you have like Kentucky and Montana saying hey Bitcoin miners that just got the boot from China set up shop here so come that we on can over keep here our, yeah our coal industries alive like hmm. I mean
0: yeah uh, it's 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 a fascinating conversation and it is not a, an easy one. And that was probably the biggest takeaway. And I, I know we, we, we speak to folks from all, all stripes here on this show. And I guarantee you, this is worth your time no matter where you sit because i don't think that there is any one very easily defined point of view in fact what i found myself listening to it agreeing with some elements of some folks that i radically disagree with and disagreeing with others that i might otherwise agree with because like you said this is really a local political issue at least in this first uh, uh in this first episode and i think it's fitting that it is because ultimately this is not one global top down Solution. This is a jillion different local ones that either are going to work together or not. But it is very expertly put together by Molly Wood of Marketplace Tech. How we survive is the podcast. Is there anything else that you are working on, or anything that we
2: should be keeping our eyes out for? Uh, I mean, this is all I do all day, every day. But I still am doing Make Me Smart every day with Kai Rizdahl. So you can hear some crossover episodes and you know some bigger economic and tech news there with the occasional. If you have missed my ongoing rants about Facebook, that's where they are.
0: (laughs) That's where they live (laughs) right now. Molly, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Justin. Good to be back. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog & Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to wish uh, uh, Molly Wood, Salutations for making a really good show You can head on over to px3guest.com If you want to email the show It is the American at gmail.com Our twitter for the program is px3tweets Our twitch is px3live You can share our podcast with your friends and family At px3podcast.com And of course you can get all of our merch At politicsmerch.com If you would like to give us a one time payment you can do so at PayPal.me slash PayJury. Our Venmo is Justin Young 20, and our Cash App is PX3Cash. Send me anything that you would like in the mail to P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's where you get on our $3 tier for two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. Our $10 tier gets you name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Idris Eslanian and DJ Katie Mack, Neemeister, Dr. G Lord, Scale, De Quince Anili admiral flapjack utah jimmy montana edmund pluribus unum pete spicery 70s tv salesman or spy d really and gloria young for king of the new world order zombie doc edison no mention on the podcast please dot com junkie dp4 bongo pop gold jewish lives matter hundred mile runner double k ranch yield pinball shop john Snuffies. Off Route 44. Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela, DL, Steven, Chad, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, D. Laser, just another pilot, Mike, as in middle aged Mike, the Jen, Will, J. Pink, and Andrew. If you would like to have your name read on the show, the only place to do it is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And that wraps it up for us this week. Friday, the glorious return of the cosmic Kevin Ryan. Uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about because I never, I could plan out an interview with Kevin Ryan. I can plan out a long conversation with Kevin Ryan, but you never really know. Until you get into it. And I haven't recorded it yet. So Kevin will be on the show. I'm very excited about that. Until next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only program that dares discuss. Oh. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio
1: Politics. Politics. Politics.